Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so thrilling to see a church that emphasizes the coming of Jesus. Because he's coming whether we emphasize it or not. And there are a lot of churches that are all kind of confused. They sent their, their pastor to some cemetery, I mean, seminary. And uh, the, the long-bearded uh, prophets that have gone and gotten their Ph.D. in some secular school where they ridicule fundamentalists and their belief in the second coming. And they think it's just too hard to understand prophecy. Well, it's not too hard, and I hope I can prove it to you tonight. That's why we've written books. And by the way, I just happen to have a couple of my books here. (laughs) But I I introduced them today. My prophecy uh, library is what it is. I'm just a compulsive teacher of the Bible. And if you can't teach it to them by by, uh, teaching and preaching, then you ought to get to teaching them by writing. And it was a thrilling day for me when the Lord gave me the inspiration to write Spirit-Controlled Temperament. How many of you have ever read that book? Spirit-Controlled Temperament. That was my first book. It sold over a million copies. And I say that to the glory of God because I almost uh, didn't graduate from... In fact, I did graduate from high school, magna cum lucky. And... uh, Anyway, the Lord just let me write so that people could understand it. I don't have the gift of, of, of uh, just being a student or a scholar, but I do have the gift of putting the cookies down on the shelf where the average person lives. And that's why I try to put prophecy into the terms that people can understand. And in some cases, guys that have gone to cemetery can read this and still understand it. But... Uh, This book that I hold in my hand, you can't see it, but the Popular Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy has 150 prophecies that are described. Not all by me. I I edited this book along with Dr. Ed Heinsohn. But uh, we used 25 scholars that were specialists in a given area and insisted that they write it so that you could understand it. Be sure and pick this up. I don't know if bookstores carry this or not. But then also we have the Bible Prophecy Commentary and the Global Warnings and, uh, oh yes, my chart book. I, I don't know how many of you are here today, but I love this book because I always thought in, when I was in, in Bible college and seminary that if I could just have one book that had it all graphitized. See, I think in graphics. That's why I use PowerPoints. Used to use uh, overhead. In fact, the first place I ever preached outside my own church, I had a 21-foot chart seven feet high in which I had God's plan of the ages on it. And uh, guys quit inviting me there because we had to put holes in the wall of their church. But anyway, you get the idea. This has 50 charts described all about prophecy. Some of the major subjects of... And there are other books on the book table, and I'll be glad to sign books for you. In fact, today I had a cramp in my hand, really. And uh, I'm more than happy to sign a book for you. And uh, by the way, that makes it instantly worth 10 cents more. (laughs) Turn with me in your Bible, would you, to John's Gospel, chapter 14. One of the stellar passages in the Bible. What is your favorite passage of Scripture? I've been asked that hundreds of times. It's always the one that I'm preaching on. 
because the Bible is just a thrilling book. The more you read it, the more inspired you are by it. But you have to understand the setting to really appreciate the text. Remember when Jesus came, he was teaching that his purpose in coming was to die on the cross and be buried and rise again the third day. And the disciples were getting a little bit dispirited because he was talking about being crucified and they could get the feeling of the, the audience around them that they hated Jesus. They were mocking him and the antagonism toward Jesus was increasing. And so just a couple days before he was captured and taken into those terrible trials that he went through, he said these incredibly blessed words in chapter 14. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, isn't that a great bit of advice for the day in which we live? While we see chaos around us, there is uncertainty of the times and people are wondering how long they're going to be able to live. Some of you young people are wondering if you'll uh, live long enough to grow up. And uh, it really doesn't matter if you're born again, you win. Being absent from the body is where? Present with the Lord, right. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. But I just want to pause here to call your attention to an outlandish statement. Would you ever think of saying, as you believe in God, believe in me? That's ridiculous. We'd be laughed to scorn, and yet Jesus did it and had no trouble with it. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. We have Jesus' own guarantee that he was going to go away, but he was going to come back and take us to be with him in the Father's house. Notice, he didn't say, I'm going to come again and take you to the earth and rule over the world. He will do that. But he didn't say he would take us to do ruling first, but to go to the Father's house. Can you imagine what the Father's house is like? I cannot see, ear cannot hear, neither can it enter into the imagination of man, the things that God has prepared for him. The mansion that he has prepared for us, the dwelling place, is so much greater than anything you've ever seen. Whenever you go to some rich person's house and you look at the magnificence of it and how beautiful it is, always remind you, in heaven, the place he's got for me is better. That's where we're going to live. He's going to come and take us to be with him. Good grief, if he could create this world in a moment of time by calling it into existence, just think what he could do in 2,000 years. And remember, he was a carpenter. Now, we have that promise from Jesus. And I'd like for you to see this graphic on the plan of God for the future. This gives you an idea of of how important it is. I use this this afternoon. This is one of the basic concepts. I hope this will burn its way into your mind. After the church age comes to an end, Jesus is going to do what he just told us about. And I'll give you more detail about that in a moment. When he will take us up to be with him and we'll be in the Father's house. And that's for at least seven years. And then at the end of that time, he comes and rules and reigns in the great in the glorious appearing see we have the the rapture of the church or the blessed hope it is to us 
And then the glorious appearing when we will come and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And during that same period of time, while we're up in heaven enjoying the Father's house, not because there's any good in us, but because we call on the name of the Lord, because we receive Jesus. That's the key. You get into this wonderful second coming promise fulfilled by Jesus when he comes because you have called. You're one of his. You've called on the name of the Lord. Okay, the world goes through the tribulation. We covered that pretty much this afternoon. As God shakes the world as a means of preparing men to get ready for the next stage. You see, God has a plan that goes far beyond your lifetime and mine. He has a plan for us for eternity. And the thing that I get so pumped up about when I think of prophecy is, the best is yet to come. Keep that in mind. We have more living ahead of us than we've had behind us. And some of us have got a lot behind us. And we're looking forward to that wonderful time when we will be with him and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. During that time of peace, can you imagine a time when the the reapers will follow the sowers? They'll have such a fast gestation period. It will be a time of blessing, a time no wars, no sin. And the best thing about it is Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit and contentment men no more. Can't you wait to that? Don't you get excited about that time when he will no longer tempt us? Wow. And uh, then... We have the, by the way, after the millennium, I like to call that the utopia. You want to live in utopia? Yeah. After that, it gets better. It's called heaven. I can't find a substitute word for that. No way of improving it. Heaven just conjures up the vision. And folks, we are going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Why? Because of the gift of God he has given us. See, the second coming has so much in store for us that we have not even contemplated. Well, may I remind you that the second coming is not an obscure teaching in the Bible. The Bible is filled with it. In fact, more is given in prophecy about the second coming than was given about the first coming. I shared with the folks this afternoon, there are a hundred and nine, at least a hundred and nine prophecies that Jesus fulfilled while he was on this earth. That's how we know without any question that he is the Messiah. But get this, there are over 321 prophecies about his second coming. Uh, To me, that says the second coming is three times as certain to happen as was his first coming before it occurred. And now it is a historical fact. I've been around so long, I can remember when some history people would try to say that, well, Jesus really didn't come. He didn't really, there was no Jesus, they don't say that anymore. There is so much historicity and so much fact about the life of Jesus. Who can deny it? He not only came, but he stamped his imprimatur on this world more than anyone who's ever lived. I've just finished a new book. Don't rush out to the bookstore and get it. I just sent it to the publisher. It'll take them about nine months to come out with it. But what I've done is I've put pictures of the 13 magazines that have pictures of Jesus on it, covers of magazines, and Time and Newsweek, U.S. News and World Report. And I have the book coming out, and it's going to be entitled 
why this fascination with Jesus? He's been dead 2,000 years. No president has ever had his face on the front cover of 13 major magazines. Think about that. And yet Jesus has. Why would people be so fascinated with him? He was just a carpenter, 30 years of age. And he hung up his carpenter tools and said, I'm going preaching. He went out through Galilee and hardly anybody ever frequented Galilee. And he began teaching and performing miracles and fulfilling prophecy. And it's incredible what he did. And here we are 2,000 years later remembering him. As a matter of fact, Jerry Jenkins and I, the writer of our fiction series, uh, he's an expert fiction writer, as you know. <clears throat> well, Jerry and I were interviewed by Larry King on two different occasions. And we got, you know, I've always admired Larry because sometimes he gets, shows his inner heart that he's seeking something spiritual. I think that's why Christians everywhere pray for him. And, and uh, on this occasion, in between the, 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 uh, commer- the well, it, during a commercial, in between the program, he wouldn't say this on two. Uh, I said to him, uh, Larry, I appreciate the fact that you respect Jesus Christ. In fact, I said, I appreciate the way you treat Billy Graham in his senior years. You're very gracious. He said, you know, I like Billy. The only trouble with him is every time I have him on my program, he's after me. (laughs) I felt like, well, I did say, well, that's what evangelists do. But anyway, uh, in the course of our conversation, I said, well, Larry, what do you really think about Jesus Christ? And he got very sober. And he said, well, I'm not a believer. He said, I'm a Jew. And he said, but I want to tell you that I have the utmost respect for Jesus Christ. I believe he is the most influential person who ever lived. Now think about that statement. Why would a secular man who said, I'm not an atheist, I'm an agnostic. And then he said what he said. Why would he say that? Because it's true. Do you know anyone else who has 21,000 words in the Encyclopedia Britannica describing his life? You name anybody, George Washington, Mao Zedong, Adolf Hitler, no one else has that many words. Why? They didn't influence the world like Jesus. Why did H.G. Wells, a skeptic, in the early part of the last century, writing a huge volume of the world's history, when he got all through, to his amazement, he had given more space to Jesus Christ than anyone else. Because Jesus is the most influential person in the history of the world. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus Christ stands head and shoulders above everyone who's ever lived. Think of it. There are 13 billion people. Just suppose now, we probably got two or 3,000 here tonight. Just suppose we had 13 billion of us in this big valley. And one person stood head and shoulders above everyone else as far as influencing the world. Wouldn't you ask yourself, why? Well, the answer is very simple. He was God in human flesh. Why did Jesus... Performed so many miracles. I love the healing of blind eyes. Don't you those stories? As a kid in Sunday school, it just really fired my boiler. Because Jesus had the power to heal. 
He did that because he was God in human flesh. Remember, Jesus reflects God. Do you want to know what God's like? Jesus revealed him. Study the life of Jesus and he describes him. He illustrates him. He is the epitome of God himself. May I suggest that, in fact, you women, bless your heart. Do you know anyone in the history of the world that has blessed womanhood like Jesus? Think of it. 2,000 years ago, I hate to mention this, ladies. I don't, you know, I don't have anything. Peg and I had a widowed mother that raised us, and I have an exalted opinion of what a single woman can do when her husband dies suddenly of a heart attack, and uh, she has to raise three little kids. Uh, I tell you, women are able to do things that men could never do. But so I don't have anything against women. But 2,000 years ago. Do you realize that your dad would have had to trade off some of his best cattle or horses to get somebody to marry you? That's right. That's the, that's the world into which Jesus came. Then it gets worse, and I'm sure you know history, but... My point is, what is wherever Christianity has gone, the status of womanhood has come to nobility. And dignity. Why? Jesus created them. Male and female created he them. And he created them for a purpose. And he spoke very respectfully to women. Well, there are many illustrations I give of that. But my point is, isn't it interesting? The most influential person who's ever lived also happens to be the... Uh, subject of more prophecy than anyone else in the history of the world. Now, you want evidence that Jesus was one of a kind? Let me give you another one. Do you know who was the greatest prophet in all the world? Jesus. Jesus, greater than Moses. I counted something like 48 prophecies of Moses. Jesus did 143. Jesus, in fact... Half of Jesus' prophecies have already been fulfilled. That's why I have no question about the other prophecies that will be fulfilled. Not only did he promise that he would come again, but his disciples promised the same thing. The, the angels that uh, spoke to the men, the, the, why do you stand looking up into heaven after he was taken up into heaven? This same Jesus will come again. And you'll find that every one of the writers of the New Testament wrote about the second coming of Jesus. You see, the second coming of Jesus is not just a figment of imagination or some dry theological subject. It is a promise by God himself that he will come again. And let me give you the details. I'd like to highlight the fact, if I could have that graphic up there just for a sneaky minute, uh, I'd like to highlight the fact that um, there's a difference between the rapture and the glorious appearing. In fact, in my books about second coming, I have 15 differences. We won't go through them all now, but 15 things about the rapture that are unique. And whenever you read a passage that talks about the second coming, examine the context and make sure that you're talking about the glorious appearing or the rapture. They're not always the same. But the rapture and the glorious appearing cannot be the same, for example. The glorious appearing takes place at the end of the tribulation. 
the rapture takes place before the time of wrath that should come and try the whole earth, the scripture said. In fact, the glorious appearing couldn't happen tonight. It won't happen for at least seven years. After the rapture of the church, then the world goes through tribulation and then you have the glorious appearing. And you say, well, how do you know for sure? Well, let me just ask you a question. I have a book on the rapture that you might want to look if you have any question on 15 reasons that Christ is going to come pre-tribulational. By the way, I never argue with my friends about when. Some of the people that believe in the mid-tribulation or the... Post-tribulation, God bless them, they're going to be saved anyway. They're saved right now if they believe in Jesus. The good news is you don't have to believe in the pre-trib rapture to be saved. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again. We'll come to that in a moment. But the important thing is that Jesus is going to come on his time frame. And when he shouts from heaven, we're all going at the same time. I just hope you'll let me point out to my friends that disagree with me that, see, I told you all the time. <laughs> but the important thing is, let me just show you one of the 15, and that is, what comes after the glorious appearing? We have the millennial kingdom. Well, who's going to father all those billions of people that uh, are born during the millennial kingdom? It sure isn't going to be the people that are cast into hell. According to Matthew 25, Jesus has the separation of the sheep and the goats right after his glorious appearing and setting up his kingdom. It won't be the unsaved. And if if he comes at the end of the tribulation, it can't be the people that are left because they're gone. So who's going to reproduce after their own kind? The people that accepted Christ during the tribulation period. You say, how many of those are there? A multitude which no man can number from every tongue and tribe and nation. Tells us that three times in the book of Revelation. Well, how is this all going to take place? I want to have you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. The detailed passage of the whole thing, you've probably heard this a jillion times, and it's worth it to hear it again. And in fact, I, I have you turn to 1 Thessalonians because... That may have been the first book in the New Testament written. Some say it's James. Well, I won't argue maybe one or two years. But before the Gospels were ever written, Paul was moved. And you need to understand why he was moved to do this. In fact, I want to give you an assignment. Teachers always do that, don't they? I want to give you an assignment in your spiritual life. In your journal, I hope you keep a journal every day when you read the Bible and find something that God says to you. Read First and Second Thessalonians. You know what you'll find? You'll find Paul referred to the second coming in every chapter. Now, only eight chapters in the two books. But in every one, you kind of get the impression that he wanted those Christians to understand it. But folks, they were brand new Christians. Paul was driven out of town three weeks after he got there. They had such a movement of the Spirit of God, and so many Jews came to faith in Christ. The the rebellious Jews drove him out of town, and he had to turn the ministry over to Timothy, and he went on to Corinth. And about six months later, an entourage from Thessalonica came to Corinth, and they said, Paul, we've got a problem. Our people are very concerned. You talked about the rapture of the church taking place, and uh, we go to be with Christ when he came. And now some of our loved ones have died. 
And we're concerned, what happens to them? You didn't tell us. Well, you know what happens to them because Paul told them, and in telling them, he told us. And this is what he said in the fourth chapter, verse 13. I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Isn't that a neat term for the dead? Our loved ones have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others have who have no hope. When we go to the place of death, we sorrow, but not as the hopeless. Isn't it wonderful to go to the, the funeral of someone you know, love Jesus, and you're anticipating meeting them again? You will, and I'll show you in a moment where Paul said. For he said, if we believe, now here's the great condition. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, what, isn't that an abbreviated description of the gospel? If you believe that Jesus died and rose again. By the way, that word believe means commit to. I heard of a girl that was going with a guy for seven years. And he asked her about 70 times to marry him. And she said, no. And he said, well, I thought you said you love me. Said, oh, I do. But she didn't love him enough to commit herself to him until the 71st time. And uh, that's what that's what believe means. It commit. You love someone or you believe in someone enough to where you commit yourself to him. And when you believe that Jesus died and rose again, what you're saying is, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you are the only person in the universe that for, could forgive my sins, could save my soul. And when you receive him, then notice what he says. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is a mention of prophecy. They had that open gift in those days because they had no written word. He's, He's not giving us what he thinks. He's giving us the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede or hinder those who are asleep. Don't you love this term for believers at death? I had a friend, very dear minister friend, was in my home. Bev and I uh, said goodnight to him. He said, you know, I'm not feeling very well. And uh, he went up. We live in a condominium, and he, we were on the fourth floor, and he was on the fifth and he and his wife went up to bed at 9.30. That was, he didn't usually get, we couldn't get rid of him until 11 o'clock. And uh, here he's going to bed at 9.30. And at 4.30 in the morning, his wife called, crying out to us. Something's wrong with Vern. I rushed down there in my pajamas, and there he is lying on the floor in the bathroom. And he couldn't speak. I knew he'd had a stroke immediately. I didn't realize he had a brain hemorrhage. And I tried to lift him and cover him up so he was was kind of shaking. And he died in my arms. You could just feel life go out of him. You know, all of a sudden, the reality of the insecurity of life really comes home when a thing like that happens. I was in the Air Force in World War II, and I had a lot of strange things happen, but nothing like a man dying in your arms. And uh, what a wonderful thing it is to go to a funeral like that and say, we will meet again. We have the confident expectation. That's what the blessed hope is. It's the confident expectation that, hey, this world is not all there is. There's a better life coming. 
Well, then he goes on to say, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, we won't precede those who are asleep. For, verse verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. That's the resurrection shout, folks. And may I point out to you that that's an experienced shout. He's already raised at least three times, three people, when he was here on earth. And now he's going to shout from heaven. And he's going to raise the dead. It says, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the archangel to lead the children of Israel through the tribulation period. And the trump of God is the, the death warning or the judgment of God during the tribulation. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Isn't that exciting? Our loved ones that we have committed to the ground, they're going to rise first. And we don't have to worry about them. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. In the clouds. Can you imagine that great getting up morning when we meet our loved ones? Everyone in this room, I'm sure, has someone you can't wait to see on the other side. And we'll see them. You know how it is when you meet an old friend in just a moment of time, you're back in close fellowship with. That's the way it'll be. And we, how long it'll be, I don't know. It'll be long enough, I hope, for us to renew acquaintances. And then it really gets exciting. To meet the Lord in the air. The air, the stratosphere, you know, is further up. See, Jesus doesn't come to the earth in the first phase of the second coming. The rapture. He comes in the air above the clouds and we go up to be with him and our loved ones go up. We meet them and then we meet him. Have you ever contemplated what it's going to be like? What what are you going to say when you see Jesus? I dare say I know. Everyone in this room that knows Jesus is going to thank him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for offering eternal life. Thank you for all those people you sent. Remember some of the people you may have ridiculed and turned your back on? He sent those people to you, trying to get you to reason. And you can thank him for his patience. And Oh, there's so many things that we can thank. And now it gets better. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. We will always, all this wonderful future that I've had pictured for you on the chart a few minutes ago, all of that will be with Jesus. I can't explain all the details, but I'll tell you this. I'm excited about being with Jesus. For how long? Forever and ever and ever. No wonder, he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you a story in closing. Our Father died when he was 34 years old, had a massive heart attack, and just succumbed. I was almost 10, three weeks before my 10th birthday. And you can imagine, I loved my father. He was a gregarious, sanguine, outgoing, lovable, everybody loved him. And uh, he was an ideal father. And I wept. I don't mind telling you, I just cried until I didn't have any more tears. And I thought my world had come to an end. I didn't even want to go to the funeral. But my mother, bless her heart, she made me go. And I had she I had one of those mothers that when she said, you're going, you went. And uh, 
I'll never forget what happened in my despair. I'm sitting there with people around the, the church family. I don't know what the service was. I can't even remember. But I remember the minister who happened to be the minister that led my parents to Christ eight years before. He put his hand on that gray casket and he looked up toward that Michigan sky. Michigan's always overcast. I mean, every 365 days a year. And uh, he looked up at the sky and he said, this is not the last of Frank LaHaye. The day is coming when Jesus will shout from heaven, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And would you believe the sky opened up for just a moment and the sun shone through and it came into my heart. And I believe that's when the promise of the second coming of Jesus, the reality of that factual prophesied event burned its way into my heart and has never left looking forward to that day when we will meet our loved ones again and I want to tell you there's a sequel to that story about four years ago the little Baptist church in Farmington Michigan where I was saved, my dad and mom were saved on the same night. The pastor wrote me and said, I read in one of your books that you were saved in this church, and we're going to have our 125th anniversary celebration. He said, we run about 125 people every Sunday, and we'd like to have you come as our visiting speaker for that occasion. And I thought, now that's a real church. In 125 years, they got 125 members. So I accepted. But what really got me was he said, if we advertise this and you come, I'm sure that we'll have maybe 200 people. I love big thinkers. Anyway, we went. The place was jammed. We had a wonderful time. People accepted the Lord and so on. But I made one condition. I said, my father is buried in the Greenlawn Cemetery on Grand River Avenue. I didn't know it was only four miles from the church. And I said, I'd like to visit my father's grave. Well, somebody in the church heard that, and they went out there, and they cleaned it up, cut the grass, put flowers on, polished the headstone, and we walked across the cemetery lots. And you know how cemeteries are. They have these headstones with symbols on them, a Masonic order, a cross, uh, many different things that depict some widow, will say, a wonderful husband and father and so on. We got to our father's grave. My heart doesn't stop very often, thank God. But on that day, it stopped its motion. It felt like. And I looked down at the headstone. Do you know what I read? Frank LaHaye, born 1901, died 1935. But under that, my mother had, I don't know where she ever got the money for this. How she had written in script, born again, March 10th, 1928. And all of a sudden I realized the defining moment in my father's life was when he was born again. And folks, when you die, that will be your defining moment. God keeps the record. 
Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life when you call on the name of the Lamb of God. But you have to initiate the call. You have to say, yes, I believe Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. If you believe that, I want you to look into your heart and ask yourself, have I really had that defining moment? If not, I can't think of a better place to do it than right here. Let's bow together for prayer. With our heads bowed and our hearts open before God, let's just pretend you and I are in a room all by ourselves, just the two of us. And I were to ask you, have you invited Jesus into your heart? Please, everyone keep your head down. I'm going to do something I almost never do. I just feel led to do this tonight. How many of you, by slipping up your hand, can say, Tim, I have prayed that prayer. Just slip it up. God bless you. What a crowd of folks. Amen. I did that not because I wanted to see who did it. I couldn't see this many people. I did that so you could see. If you couldn't raise your hand, then you need that defining moment where you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do it tonight? You see, that's what it really comes down to. Are you willing to say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the only way of salvation, and that he rose again, showing God's approval of his sacrifice. And I trust him. Call him into your life. Confess your sin to him. He's the only one that can fix it anyway. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I confess my sin. I need to be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And folks, there's no other way to be saved than to call on the name of the Lord who died for you and rose again. He's waiting for you to call. Pray that simple prayer. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus. And we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to minister to each heart. We pray that no one will leave this place tonight without knowing that they've had that defining moment of receiving him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.